Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks, sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. I was over at the Beckett headquarters, and I was asked to give a few remarks to the grading trainees, and I thought, you know, I'll just talk about my grading origin story. I've talked about my hobby origin story, but just to do it a little differently, I'd do that. So I've edited it. There's nothing proprietary. I've taken out anything sensitive. But the rest, I think, is interesting for me just to think back of how grading was woven into many of the things that I did over the years. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. Christmas of 59, I go to my dad's parents, my grandparents' house, and they bring down from the attic this kind of cigar box full of about probably 350 cards from the 30s. Sounds good. Sounds a huge gift. I just thought it was cool at the time. The value of 350 cards from the 30s in those days was probably $35. Again, they were only 20-something years old. My dad's cards, I still have them for the most part. They're threes and fours when they're Gaudis. They're fours and fives and sixes when they're 39 play balls. The 40 play balls, interestingly, they're five, six, and sevens, and the high numbers are sevens because they were played with less. The 41 play balls are sixes. So that's a neat legacy. They're worth a lot more than 35 bucks now. And I have graded them with, guess where I graded them? DSA. No. <laughs> you shooting me through the heart. Uh, I bleed Beckett blood, obviously. Then uh, somewhere in there in 59 and 60, I got crazy. All the kids in my neighborhood flipped cards against the wall. Any card flipped against the wall is VG at best. Maybe good, maybe fair, maybe poor. But you didn't care in those days. In fact, the ones that were more worn would more gently come against the wall. But if that didn't do it, I wrote my initials on the back of the car. So how condition sensitive, and I lived in 18 houses in my first 18 years, so cards were a huge socialization aspect of my childhood because every neighborhood had guys collecting cards and trading cards, and so it was a great icebreaker. But just to be sure, I had JB on the back of my cards, and if you find any of those, don't crush the grade, send it over to BAS, authenticate it as my official initials if you see a JB on the back mainly 61 tops. 61 tops were also the cards my mother threw away. She threw away all my duplicates, which was the best thing. A bad thing turned into a good thing because then I took really good care of the other stuff. She didn't throw away the cards that had been my dad's, but she threw away the duplicates. Now, as I'm telling my grading story, those duplicates were the lesser condition card or lesser centered cards I had. They were extra cards. I had more than a complete set. Even in those days, if you have two cards, you take the better one. More so the fronts of the cards, less so the backs. Centering was a big deal, corners and creases, but centering, you wanted a nice looking card. It's the same thing they're trying to capture with eye appeal now. If you hold the card out, does it look good? In our neighborhood, if you wanted to trade a card and one was better than another, it would be more dependent on the player than it was the condition. When you go to real estate, it's location. And they want to tell you that in cards, it's condition, but really, if you've got a great condition card of a player with no demand, you may find the one person that wants it. But if you've got a pretty good card, a, a great player, and a more limited card, so supply and demand both work. Demand now is accentuated by better condition, and supply is reduced by the better condition cards, especially on the older cards. So it's made an explosion in the hobby, which we hope continues. Okay, so in the late 69, I answer an ad in the campus paper for a friend of mine who turned out to be a great friend, Gervis Ford, who was the leading collector in Dallas. I'm just a junior at SMU, I think. 
he offers to trade me. He says, hey, you've got those 30s cards, those Gaudis. I collect those. And I said, well, my big set is 1956. So I'll trade you two for one. Two for one, what does that mean? Your dad's cards are older, so you give me one of those, I'll give you two of these 56 tops that you need. Okay, I wish that was the end of the story. But again, this is my grading origin story. And he is a great man, a great friend. But the 56 tops he gave me that I needed were at best VG because they were his duplicates. Again, people would generally trade the cards that were lesser condition, not much thought to it. So my Gaudis were probably the same condition as his 56 tops. Later, I start a company to make sure other people don't get taken advantage like I did. I got taken advantage of by really a great man who's become a very close friend of mine. And he wasn't doing anything illegal. It's just that I was at a disadvantage because I had less knowledge. Didn't really understand the hobby and the grade. And it wasn't a felony. Uh, probably not even a misdemeanor, it's not a crime, but uh, it taught me that this is a hobby where knowledge is important. You need knowledge about the cards and knowledge about the grading. Into the 70s, and I'm getting out of school, I go to graduate school, and it's not so I can start a company, they don't teach you. I had a PhD in statistics, okay, which has really allowed me to do the price guides. When I announced my first price survey, it was for VGX cards, and that wasn't Strange, that's what most people thought. There, there were poor, fair, good, very good, excellent, mint. There weren't even the gradations back in the early 70s. Now there's 20 grades, or not an infinite number of grades, but it's really important, the differences between X-mint and near-mint plus and all these different things. And so grading probably needed to happen, but it wasn't ripe in 1976. So no one batted an eye that I was doing a price survey initially for VGX cards. Because less than VGX, it was at a four, somewhere in there. They weren't great cards, but they weren't beaters either. So if it was worse than that, you didn't necessarily get a discount, but they would be slower sellers. If it was better than that, they didn't necessarily charge a premium, but it would go faster. And so VGX was accepted, and that's a reasonable looking card. Even now, there's been a resurgence in vintage cards at that level, because that's what most of them are. So I announced this price survey. I was at the epicenter of the industry because I was a collector, I was a dealer, I was a show promoter. I eventually had a store, I started a collecting club. So I touched all those points to know the customer, which I was one of them, what would I want is what they wanted. These price surveys that came out allowed the establishment of a price guide that was very well accepted. So what was the grading situation in the early 80s? when the price surveys, the books were coming, the magazines were coming. The rookie card phenomenon, the RC thing, is what just shot demand up in the junk wax era. You think, I'm gonna get the card, but maybe I need to think about what the grade of the card is. I wanna get the best of the best. So PSA comes along in the early 90s. It's not well received initially, because it's an expensive service for telling you an opinion that your card is better than this other card. When it's not your cards, you can be unbiased. When it's your card, your card looks perfect, <laughs> but it's not. I was the holdout in our company because even though when we were doing price guides, we were doing de facto grading because when we go to these card shows and we'd be observing the cards that were there, if a card was a lower priced card than what it should have been, the price guide analyst had to think, that's not a bargain, it's not in good shape. Or if it was a higher priced card, it might be because it was really sharp. Okay. We had mostly guys going out on the road, which they were every weekend. There was somebody on the East Coast, the Midwest. When I talk about transparency and visibility, 
in the grading arena, the reputation of our company was based on the transparency and visibility of our price guide analysts and me being out there, being around where people could see that these people really care and they're here and they're responsive. The grading of BGS was proposed numerous times before it was finally accepted by me. I was the holdout because I thought in an abundance of caution, we have a great thing going here with our price guides. Grading might be perceived as a conflict of interest. I don't think it is. But again, in this hobby, perception sometimes is more important than reality. That's a shame, but that's not peculiar to this subculture. It's probably common to any enthusiast, expert-driven subculture. People really care so much, they get upset sometimes. Finally, I had some of my very best employees come up and say, we really need to do this. PSA now is humming. They maybe were crawling, they were maybe walking, but they are running now. They're running to the bank to make deposits of all the money they were making. So this is getting toward the late 90s. So I said, okay, let's go for it. But we're not gonna do a cookie cutter service. We're not gonna copy them. We wanna not reinvent grading. We wanna think, how should we approach this? Their grading scale, it was pretty close to the standard of the day. And we didn't think there was anything wrong with that other than the fact that we saw their tens were not perfect and their grading process was cryptic and that if it was a nine or a 10 and again, no nine five, if they're a nine or a 10, the nines looked really good. The tens looked really good, but it looked like that's not the best one I've ever seen necessarily. So how can we rethink this an inner sleeve, a more substantial holder? We had an on timer, it's free guarantee. We had lots of things that distinguished us and that immediately put us on the map. We also were not the champion of the little guy, but we always straddled in our company. And everything we did, we wanted to make sure this is not just for dealers. We want dealers to get a good deal, but we want the individual collector to get a good deal too. So we didn't have these difficult submission barriers that you had to go through somebody. You didn't have to be a member of a club, you could submit, you fill out your paperwork, and you'd get the same. No favoritism or treatment. With the report card, that immediately put us on the map of a version of transparency that had never been considered in the hobby before. And so for, I think five years in a row, when I was around, we were winning, actually from SCD, which was one of the top publications and a competitor. They did a survey and we were the leading grading company in the early 2000s. And nine fives probably were equal or better. Again, nine five is gem mint. PSA 10 is gem mint, but 10 is bigger than 9.5. I did a podcast on that. I don't really want to get too much into that, but the words matter. I'm a numbers guy, but the words matter. If we're saying it's gem mint, it needs to be gem mint, and you're giving the person a roadmap to see the reason it's gem mint is because of these four subgrades, and you want to be really accurate on that. I believe accuracy is trainable. Integrity is not a dichotomy. It's not you either have it or you don't. There are levels of integrity, okay? There's no perfect person, but I really try hard not to mess up. <laughs> and if you don't mess up very much, or if you do, you fess up, then people, there, there's some integrity there. And the window into integrity is the transparency and visibility. Again, not a sliding scale there. If I want to be fully transparent with you, I would take off all my clothes. I don't want to be fully transparent, but I want to be transparent enough that you can see that I am who I say I am. The transparency that we need in Beckett grading of any sort is that we really have nothing to hide, but we have trade secrets. 
we don't need to explain every little thing, but we need to demonstrate that we have integrity and the parts that they can see, the parts that aren't visible or transparent, they can see, and the report card to me is a big part of that, is that we're willing to walk through and say, you maybe didn't see this flaw right here. And we've indicated that on the report card if you want to try to get it regraded or something like that. And so visibility is a big deal with respect to transparency. Integrity, I don't know that it's trainable, but what it is, it's contagious. If you're part of a team that has integrity, it's going to be tougher for you to stray. I think grading is a team sport. I think individual skills, but the best thing you can do, the one word you've got to be able to say is help. Maybe you're 90% sure about something. If you're 90% sure and it's some kind of a common lower grade, then 90% is good enough. If it's a glamour card, a grail card, and you're 90% sure, you're not sure. And you want to bring in somebody. Even senior graders should huddle up if it's an important card. If that slows down the process, that's better than slowing down the process by having lower submissions because of reputational damage by messing up. Okay, so what are the types of mess-ups in the accuracy? You can have an online tutorial to figure out how to technically grade by the numbers. But the numbers, if we had 10 cards here, and I gave each of you all the 10 cards and asked you to grade them, and I gave the same 10 cards to Scott Kirkland or somebody very veteran or a couple, and so we got the grade that the senior grader really thought this would be. And I gave them to you, and 9 out of 10 cards, you got exactly what Scott had. That sounds good so far, okay? Whereas the next person, the first nine cards, you were a half point below on three of them. You nailed it on three of them, and you're a half point more on three of them. And some of the subgrades were slightly off, but you're not off by more than a half point a point. The problem is on the tenth card, it was counterfeit, and you missed it, and he didn't, okay? We can't have that. If it's counterfeit, trimmed, altered, <coughs> if you have any suspicion of that, you have to get that right. That's the reputational damage, that somebody could take a card that we slab and say, hey, look, this is a problem. They can quibble about whether you're a half point off. And I'm not recommending that people would be a half point off, but if in the training and you're a new grader and you're within a half point of Scott and you're not always lower and you're not always higher, that can be trained. But there have to be safeguards to protect you and to protect the company from counterfeits, alterations. Man